This is Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. People on both ends of the political spectrum can agree that our democracy feels at least a little broken. Our measures of voter turnout, voter fatigue, and voter apathy will all back up that feeling. So the solution many of us throw out there is teach more civics. There's no uniform curriculum for civics in this country, of course. But Republican candidate for president Vivek Ramaswamy has proposed requiring high school seniors to pass the equivalent of our citizenship test. That suggestion has proven controversial. At this point, only nine states and D.C. require a full year of civics education for young people. So is requiring civics perhaps a recipe for a more informed, more active democracy? Our guest today argues no. This is just how human beings are. They know that politics is not the only important part of their lives. So how can anyone really grab their heads and say, this should be more important to you? Christian Barnard of Reason Magazine joins us in just a moment. Stay with us. Welcome back to Hear Me Out. I'm Celeste Headley. The philosophy of the schoolhouse in one generation will be the philosophy of the government in the next. Perhaps you know that quote. It gets thrown around a lot, at least in the area where I live, Washington, D.C. It's attributed to Abraham Lincoln. It's not really clear if he ever said it. And if he didn't, who did say it? The disclaimer, by the way, is an example of media literacy. That's something that, like civics, is probably not taught in most schools. Certainly not taught as much as it should be if we are to believe the polls that show the average American doesn't always know who said what, when they said it, when they didn't say it, and what they should or should not believe on the internet. Today, though, we're talking about whether teaching civics and helping people know more about their own government should be a priority, and whether teaching civics could, in fact, save our democracy. Institutions from the American Bar Association to the Center for American Progress agree that civic education is necessary, both to increase participation in government and ultimately to protect the sanctity of a government by and for the people. But a piece in this month's issue of Reason magazine argues that civics will not save us. The writer of that piece, Christian Bernard, joins us now. Hello. Hi, Celeste. Thank you. Okay. You're writing for a libertarian magazine, so I assume that libertarians are all for getting rid of public education and letting people homeschool or pay for their own schools as they choose. I have to assume that's the libertarian point of view. Yeah, our, our take is basically to embrace the system as it currently exists and move it in a realistic direction given our goals. And so public education is here to stay. Um, <laughs> though really our method of change or our theory of change is more about giving families options and the public option will always be there. But yeah, educational diversity, diversity of delivery and how, how schooling and educating is done, that's definitely uh, at the forefront of our thinking. All right. So let's get back to what you and I are here to disagree about in particular, which is the importance of civics education. In a nutshell, just to, to launch our discussion why do you think civics education is is not the key to getting our democracy on a on a healthier footing? I think it really starts with looking at the issues that we have in our democracy now and asking the question if civics education or a lack of it is the reason that we have the problems that we have now. So usually what's pointed to is obviously extremely polarized 
politics. Uh, people will point to political flashpoints like the election of Donald Trump, but also just polarization across the American population, uh, as well as misinformation, declining social trust, declining trust in government. And when I look at those problems, what, what comes to me, what's often proposed as a solution is beefing up or strengthening civics education. So whether that be imposing more standards or just more classroom time at the state or federal level, what's often proposed is improving civics education as a way to kind of cure the problems that we have in society. But my objection is I don't really see strong evidence that civics education or the atrophying of civics education over the last 60 or 70 years is the reason that we have the problems that we have now. And so to propose it as the solution seems to be kind of a misdiagnosis of, of the problem. And I also just don't see much evidence that uh, civics education in public schools really does move the needle all that much in behaviors such as voter turnout, but even just broad, broader academic trends as far as how students are performing. Okay, we're going to dig into what you just said, because I, I disagree. But let me start with maybe something we can agree on. <laughs> I mean, I think maybe we can both agree that Americans don't know very much about civics, right? We can at least agree on that, right? Yeah. I mean, surveys again and again show that fewer than one in three would pass a citizenship test. One in six can't name all three branches of government. Right. <laughs> Only one in 20 can name all five freedoms protected by the First Amendment. I mean, let's talk about the First Amendment, first of all. People seem to have no conception of what the first what the free first amendment means when it comes to free speech you know if they get told to shush in a movie theater they're claiming that their first amendment rights are, are being impacted uh -huh. tldr they are not so that's something we can both agree on right people do not know civics oh yeah of course i mean and, and when we talk about civics though we're generally talking kind of about a narrow piece of civics which is like knowledge about government um, and of course, like civics is a little broader than that. It's also participating in community and neighborhoods and yeah. volunteer organizations. But yes, absolutely. Uh, it's, it is embarrassing. You know, it's almost like the Today Show street interviews, like how many continents are there? You know, it, how many oh, right, of right, government right. are there? And uh, people don't do all that great. So uh, of course, I'd agree. But I, I also think that what that's usually used to indicate I think it's overstated, like how catastrophic that is for society. I I'm not convinced that, you know, maybe at some point in America's past when our civic society or our civil society was just doing better, was that because the citizens were more informed? I would like to pull someone from the 1940s and see how they do um, on these same kinds of questions. And I'm skeptical that they would do much better than the average American today. I mean, we have been testing students at least. Um, on their understanding, and uh, at least since World War II. And so we know that our students know far less about history and civics than they did. I'm not going to use the greatest generation that, you know, I'm not going to use that, that moniker, but, you know, we know that they know less. And I, I'll tell you right now, I think that as, you know, as a journalist, I think that's a problem because people don't seem to understand which politicians do what. Right. You know, people go, go around blaming the president for gas prices when you and I both know perfectly well the president has no control over gas prices. You and I know perfectly well that voting for president is one of the least consequential votes right. in place. Right? Like when it talks about participation, 
Not knowing civics to me means people don't understand that those votes they make for city council and school board and mayor are so much more important to their everyday life yeah. than president. Like that's for me seems to be one of the most important civics lessons we should teach. Don't you think? I think that we should, of course, I, I think it would be a good thing if Americans knew more about civics. I would push back a little bit. I'm not sure. I haven't seen much evidence that, you know, the greatest generation was better civically informed. They might have been more civically engaged, you know, and that's kind of an important distinction. But I, if there's evidence that they're more civically informed 50, 60, 70 years ago, uh, you know, I would stand corrected. Um, but of course, no, I think that teaching people about the importance of local politics and of course, it's important to teach people about the importance of local elections um, as opposed to a presidential election and not giving presidents uh, credit or blame generally for the health of the economy. But again, what problems in society are we expecting to solve and are they problems? So are you talking more about voter turnout being low in local elections is that kind of what you're getting at yes and and engagement on on most of the levels in which we in which we uh measure voter engagement it tends to be higher and frankly you and i know that po politicians bank on that right they'll put things on ballots during midterms <laughs> that they don't think that they can get past the voters during a presidential election. We know that. Yeah, or, you know, in local uh, school bond issuances as well, uh, they will put bond measures in knowing that most of the voter turnout are going to be people associated yeah. with the, the education establishment or the teachers union. I mean, so obviously it, it cuts across. Yes, and you're right, politicians use that. I think also the, the thing that we need to remember here is that we're, we're balancing what the education K-12 education does. And historically, yes, um, informing future adults, you know, citizens in progress about how the government works um, has historically been a huge part of what public schools do. In the modern context, education, both in K-12 and higher education is way more oriented towards workforce development. And so in a way, there's like a zero sum game that's being played where more time's being devoted to math and reading and foundational skills, preparing you for college education in many cases. And that has shorted, I think, civics education. But my thing, and maybe that has precipitated some apathy, especially in local elections um, or state elections even. But I'm not always convinced that that's even a bad thing. I think workforce preparation is probably a hugely fundamental part of a of an education, um, and is important for society as well. Not just knowing, you know, how a bill becomes a law or something like that. Okay, so I don't think that edu our education should just be about teaching people to work for somebody else. Right. <laughs> I think um, that this idea. I, I think that there has been undue pressure by employers put on the educational system to try to turn public education at the public's expense into worker preparation uh -huh. so that they can spend less money on training their workers. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> you know, Celeste, I completely agree with you. Actually, in the higher education space, especially, it's like free. Yes, they are. Get. They are shifting their own costs to public to the public in so many levels. I can't even tell you. And this is one of them. Um, so I am OK with shifting that back. And if it's not if the if part of education's at least part of our public education's mission is not to create better and better informed citizenry. 
I mean, that was the whole, if you read the the documents from some of our founding fathers, that was a huge part of what they thought the the public education system was for. Absolutely. Was to create a stronger democracy and, and a better informed citizenry. And yeah. that implies that we are creating citizens who understand how government works, understand their role in that, understand how the, the Supreme Court works, not just the Supreme Court, but their local courts, traffic court, <laughs> etc. Um, are you rejecting that? No, I'm not rejecting that. Again, I'm pointing to the civics education narrative as the cure-all. So specifically when it's proposed, you know, by Vivek Ramaswamy um, in this bizarre way to say that, you know, somehow um, America is going to be fixed <laughs> if we make people participate in some kind of civic engagement or pass a citizenship test. So if they don't do one of those two things, they can't vote by the time they're 25. Um, I'm pushing back against the civics proposition, beefing up civics as a way of solving the modern problems we have now. But there's also a myth that civics education isn't happening in public schools or educational institutions now. So the Center for American Progress does good work on this, pointing out which states don't have standards, right? Or all, only uh, 30 or 30 states, I think it's 31 now, require at least a semester of civics instruction and, and the, the rest don't require anything at all. Sure, that's formalized in law, but every kid is getting some kind of social studies in either middle or high school. And my question is, okay, do we need to do more of that at the expense of reading instruction or math instruction when only a third of our, our children in public schools are, are, are reading or doing math at proficient levels in fourth and eighth grade? It's again, it's kind of a zero sum thinking in my mind. So, I mean, I think we can both agree that based on what he says in both interviews and in debates, Vivek Ramaswamy is should be lecturing nobody about understanding how government works. Uh, he gets things wrong, horrendously wrong, pretty much on a regular basis. Uh, but we do have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back in just a moment to talk about whether civics education can help save democracy. Um, I still say yes. Christian Barnard is trying to convince me no. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate. We'll be back in a moment. And we're back. This is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate, where we disagree, but we do it without calling each other jerkwads. I'm Celeste Headley. With me today is Christian Bernard. Definitely not a jerk, but he's trying to convince me that improving civics education, frankly, in most places, bringing it back because it has disappeared in so many public schools, uh, is not a great way to save our democracy. Uh, before this, we were talking about, you were saying that you don't think it's it's a cure-all. This is not the panacea, okay. which which to my ear makes it sound like you think it's perhaps important, but not the most important. I, I want to dip back really quickly. And you said that um, much earlier on, you had said you weren't convinced that earlier generations actually knew more. And I, I should say that you know, we have been testing this. In fact, I, I remember when I was um, reporting for NPR years ago about a push for more civics education, um, finding this book that was written like 30, maybe 40 years ago called What Do Our 17-Year-Olds Know? And that 30 or 40 years ago was bemoaning how little teenagers knew. Um, that like only a third of them knew when the Civil War happened. Um, and and 
uh, like one out of four thought Columbus came to the new world. Sounds like the numbers today. (laughs) No, it's worse now. I went back and checked (laughs) and it's much worse now. So yes, over time, we have the data to show that that knowledge has degraded over time. And that's no surprise. If you also look, civics programs have disappeared from a lot of public schools. Um, dedicated civics programs in which they're teaching government. Mm-hmm. You say civics programs aren't the panacea. Am I correct in interpreting that as saying you think civics education can be good, but it's not the best? Yes, it's a trade-off. It's a trade-off question. And again, I think the case for it to solve current problems is way overstated. And to, to an extent, putting a laser focus on civics, as is done. I mean, it's very often talked about. You have two sitting Supreme Court justices who are, you know, on different sides of the (laughs) judicial philosophy aisle, banding together and going on a mainstream media and talking about the importance of civics. What I want to hear more about is uh, two thirds of our kids aren't reading at a proficient level in fourth and eighth grade. And what I hear is we need to reprioritize civics at the expense of, of of other things. And so, of course, it's good. I mean, it is embarrassing that a lot of Americans don't understand what the First Amendment is or don't know what three branches of government are. Um, But again, in education, what do you spend your time on is an important question. Okay. So I I mean, I can't imagine many people are going to disagree that um, reading should be first. Like you're not going to be able to read the Constitution if you 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 can't read. I mean, I guess you could. They probably have it on audiobooks. Well, Um, Matthew Iglesias had a really good blog about this last year on his blog. Uh, He basically said that you know a lot of these documents and these books talking about American history and and uh, what really our republic is are written on a reading level that a lot of our kids can't even read in the first place. Yeah. So if we want them to absorb this kind of nuanced information about the American history and not sugarcoating anything, not giving, you know, the schoolhouse rock version of everything, they need to be able to do these basic things first. And so it's kind of like a foundation. It's not just a foundation. I agree with you that not the only purpose of education is just workforce preparation and it shouldn't be Uh, employers shirking their responsibilities to train people off on higher education institutions or K-12 institutions. But that being said, if they can't do these things, such as read and do math at a proficient level, their ability to know some facts about civics or pass the citizenship test is really not that pertinent. I mean, this feels like um, you've put me between a rock and a hard place because now we're talking about just the problems with public education writ large. Yeah. Right. Like <laughs> now we're talking about it, are, are our public schools in trouble? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah, they, sh- they sure are. Um, they're they're horribly underfunded. Uh, we have a huge teacher crisis. Uh, many of our teachers are leaving in droves. Uh, they're overworked. Classroom sizes are too large, especially in in uh, economically depressed areas. I mean, we're, you're talking about a massive, massive problem. We're going so far beyond here. You, I, I don't mean to broaden it too much. I will push back against some of what you said about, you know, we say schools are being underfunded. Education spending has increased 25% 
in inflation-adjusted terms per student just since 2002. Class sizes are, are at all-time lows as well. We've just come out of a massive hiring surge after the federal funding. Um, but I'm not going to... Yeah, but that, you're talking on average. We're not talking about... If you go to individual schools, that's not true. Or individual I mean, states. You, there's huge variation. You're right. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, if you, if you go to... a, I could take you to some schools where what you've just said is absolutely not the case, of where course. they were grossly underfunded and the class sizes are massive and they can't get enough teachers. Well, let me... Zoom, but keep going. Let me zoom back in, though. Yeah, because I don't want to make it about everything else. Just zooming back in. Okay, what do we do about the problem with civics instruction? And what is it expected to solve? So is the yeah. proposal, do we make every state have back to, okay, you want to go back to the 60s where there's three courses, you know, civics, economics, and American history or, or government, you know, what, what three courses and there's, there's more curriculum requirements uh, than there are today, say, rather than just a semester or a year. What's going to happen? What's going to happen when we start doing that? Is it going to push back against the larger socioeconomic trends that are driving the polarization that we have now. I mean, I look at Robert Putnam's work. I know it's way oversighted, so please don't uh, hold that against me. But it's interesting <laughs> to me when he talks about the decline of society and social capital, he never says, oh, well, well we need to really improve civics instruction in the classroom. And that's going to um, start rolling back all these negative trends that we see in society. No, he talks about, well, you know, volunteer organizations and the decline in civic trust is precipitated by things like, you know, technological advancement, the privatization of leisure, women entering the labor force, all sorts of things that I'm like, okay, so if we do require more civics instruction at the state level, are we really going to overcome the trends that are driving polarization and crazy politics now? I see no reason to think so. So, I mean, you may see no reason to think so, but I don't see where it's been tested. So, I mean, again, as a journalist who interviews people constantly who are voting based on absolute, a complete misunderstanding of what their vote means, mm -hmm. right? Um, and I will go to political rallies and they'll say, this particular candidate is going to do this for me and this for me and this for me. And I know I can't say this to them, but I know in my head that that candidate a is not going to do those things and B doesn't even have the power to do any of those things. Right. And I am talking to people constantly who are voting against their own interests and have been for generation after generation. People who have more power than they realize, have more political influence than they realize, partly because of what we talked about earlier, because your local vote means so much more than you know. I, I mean, I just find that this lack of understanding of how our government works, this lack of understanding of, of each citizen's role in that government, and A, how much little power they have down the street from me, and how much power they have up the street from them, their own home, I see what damage that causes. Yeah, I, I think that our question again, will imposing more civic standards, prioritizing it, I mean, again, I'm not going to bring in the at the expense of math, reading, science or anything like that. How much right, can we course. prioritize it to move the needle in a meaningful way? Because what you're describing, I, I totally agree with you that there's a lot of most voters, including me, you know, we're ignorant as we get further down the ballot. 
right? And we're, for political hobbyists even, you know, so what can we really expect of, of the, the general population, you know, and what can be, I guess, uh, counteracted with the more beefed up civics instruction? I think this is just how human beings are. They know that politics and local politics is not the only important part of their lives. And in many ways, not even in the top 10. So how can I, how can anyone really grab their heads, whether it be in public schools or anywhere else, and say, this should be more important to you? It's almost like a values kind of thing. A lot of people don't value obtaining knowledge about the local level. How, how do you get that out of them? There's other things going on in their lives. Well, I mean, A, I think part of the reason people think that it's going to require that Herculean an effort is because they know so little about politics. I mean, the Legal Women Voters puts out a guide every single election season that literally answers all those things for you. As a proud member of the Legal Women Voters, we put a lot of effort into that so that you don't have to, right? All you have to do is go online, look at Legal Women Voters. We've interviewed all the candidates. We've summed up all the ballot initiatives for you. Done and done. <laughs> yeah, Simple. Is that, but is that good? I mean, for voters, I mean, that yes! they're voting based on Why what someone else tells them. I mean, I, I would rather... No, it's not. We're not telling them how to vote. We literally give all of the candidates the exact same questions right. and we post their answers, right? Yes. All we do is post the, the bare, we translate every ballot initiative into the the for and against. Lily Wynn Voters is a non-profit, uh, non-political, <laughs> right. does not belong to either party. All they're doing is just an informational thing. They're yeah, and, making and churches, it so that people are informed. churches do this too and they do it the same way. They pull... What are their what is their stance on and the polls they ask them are kind of what leads them in the way that they vote. So I mean, you know, but you're right, it's nonpartisan. Uh, that's that. I mean, it's nonpartisan. I mean, that's a little you can't no. You cannot no no. That's <laughs> yeah, a little bit uh <laughs> you that's not a comparison. There, that's not a comparison. Okay. I mean, look, nobody was requiring any citizen to spend a whole bunch of time and, and it does not take that much time to put in the, 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 I mean, I don't need to be convincing you. It doesn't I take that I much time to, to teach them me. about how American government works either. That's kind of my Correct. point. Correct. Yes. Okay. So yes. maybe half a semester is enough. What states currently have in law. You know what I'm saying? They when, don't, but they don't. Do they? I mean, do they? I mean, honestly, it, I don't know if you've gone state by state through each one, but do they have this in place that by the time somebody graduates from high school, they can say, here's the three branches of government. Here's my local branch. Here's the difference between a township and a city. You know, right? Like all the people who sit there and go to pay, go to pay taxes and don't realize that they have to pay city taxes and income taxes and don't know the difference between a right to work state and a not, you know what I mean? Like how do people get out into the adult world and not know any of these things? It's the same thing that that happens with all other content knowledge in public education. I mean, I make this point in the piece, but how many people can say the mitochondria is the powerhouse of the cell? I mean, they remember that from middle school science, right? But does that mean they're scientifically literate? You know, that's the problem is that it's, there's the foundational skills need to be there. The people who remember these things or know these things about all the issues you just listed about how taxes work and right to work states, it requires these foundational skills. And then just having these civic dispositions, which is part of a civic uh, uh, curriculum of staying up to date with current events and refreshing themselves on how government works. That's like a soft, that's a soft skill set. 
and that's going to be woven into every part of an education uh, program. There's going to be automatically some imitation of how civic uh, groups work in a school setting itself. So do we really need to say, okay, but if we have these these better standards at the state or federal level, that's going to totally overhaul how schools are run in the first place and make a measurable difference on the civic health of these future uh, voters and schools? I, I don't think so. Okay, so we have to take another break, but I will say that I can't agree that it's the, the soft skill set when most people don't need to know that your mitochondrial DNA is what comes from the mother, but every few months you're going to have to vote for something or pay taxes for something. I mean, that's a hard skill set because it comes up in your life all the time. I mean, that's something you're using constantly. Uh, I mean, and I if think you have scientific to... mathematical literacy are day-to-day -day skills that are required as well. I don't even know that I would but agree. But maybe not mitochondria. Yeah. Okay, sure. Okay, then what is a cell? You know, uh, or something else that you might learn in a science class. How, how does how does the weather cycle work? Can how well do people poll when you ask them stuff that is going to affect them in their day to day lives when they need to make a decision about commuting to work or something like that? I mean, it's it's we're going to continue this conversation a little bit more. Um, we're getting into the nitty gritty here. I'm talking to Christian Barnard about whether or not civics education can save the world. No, save the U.S. democracy. Um, this is Hear Me Out, a podcast from Slate, and we'll be back in just a moment. Good to have you back. This is Hear Me Out. It's a podcast from Slate all about how to disagree with some respect. And we are disagreeing today. We're talking about civics, but we're doing it civilly. Um, Christian Barnard of Reason Magazine says civics education is not the solution that people say it is. There are some things that Christian and I agree on. A, Americans don't know squat about civics. <laughs> B, uh, civics is good and important to know. Right. Stop me yeah. if I'm, I'm no, getting any of this great. wrong. We yeah, agree absolutely. on this. Vivek Ramaswamy is wrong about a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, for sure. Public education is is uh, in some trouble. Yeah. And that kids should know how to read. Everybody should know how to read. Of course. Right. Those are all things we agree on. Yes. All right. So it appears to be the sticking point here is whether or not Americans need to really understand how their government works in order for democracy to work. No, 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 no. no that that's not the sticking. The sticking point is what can standards do to move the needle on that? So that's, I'm talking about the policy proposal of beefing up civics instruction. Um, of course, they need to know how government works to be able to vote. Um, but are we going to have 100% voter participation? Is that the goal here in local elections? I mean, what kind of are we aiming for? What would be, uh, what's the barometer of civic health here? Just higher voter turnout? N no. Of, of, you mean a healthy democracy? Yeah. I mean, do you think we have a healthy democracy right now? I don't know. I don't think we have a representative democracy right now. Mm -hmm. Why so I would call that not a he healthy democracy. Well, because we're being represented not, I mean, because there's a tiny minority that is actually making decisions for the majority of Americans. In other words, the majority opinions, what most Americans want for their country are not the decisions that are being made. Um, the, the wealthiest 
Americans have a very outsized impact on our politics and are able to make their views into actual policy and uh, force those things into legislation in direct defiance of Americans. Well, it sounds to me like you have criticisms of like how the system works, which might cloud how you teach civics to to students, which I think I'm not teaching civics. But, I'm not but everyone civics. has their opinion on what should be taught in civics. I mean, that's kind of one of my other issues, too. It's it's proposed like the fact that 80 percent of a very polarized society agrees that civics is important is my the first red flag that they're probably not on the same page about what civics is. I mean, so for every conservative who's going to say you need more patriotism and uh, I guess like veneration for the founding fathers, you have folks on the left who say, no, we need to teach people how to put something on the ballot you know, or get local level change. I mean, there's, or criticize the, you know, the outsized impact of the wealthy on our democracy. No, I don't care about, I don't, no, that's, you're talking about health of democracy. That's if if they're teaching like political science. That's okay. for their political science class. Okay. Civics for me as a journalist is like, understanding how government works, mm -hmm. understanding not just how elections work, but understanding how, uh, uh, your government in and of itself works, understanding how your school board works, understanding who is in charge of your roads, understanding all of those things and the structure at right respites, rights and responsibilities of a citizen and understanding how the government structure works. What are the different layers of government from your local government to your state government to the federal government? Whether What is the relationship between the state and the federal government? I mean, what is a republic? Right, right. Right? Yeah, that to me is basic civics. Yes. And again, so you were talking about what's useful to people in their everyday lives. I, I think that the more you get into the weeds, really, of how government works, that's when they start to tune out for good reasons. Because them remembering who's responsible for the roads actually doesn't impact them in a lot of cases in their daily life. I'm not, of course, they drive on those roads every day. So it's important to know in some sense. But they have a million other things that they're justifiably thinking more so about. So, I mean, that's part of the problem here is civics. I mean, and this is a criticism uh, that's been made of civics curricula for, for decades now is that kids just find it super boring. And that's why they probably forget the information they learn. <laughs> what do they not find is super boring? Do you remember being 16? It hasn't been that long. I, yeah, it's I'm not going to tell you when I graduated from high school. Uh, but so, yes, I, I absolutely. Yeah. When a lot of stuff you find boring when you're in high school, that's why I think we should manage our expectations about what a tighter civic standard will do for students, because, yes, their eyes are going to gloss over with almost everything you put in front of them. I think that. Listen, A, I think even teenagers find the Bill of Rights very exciting. I, I know and I know everyone's going to look at me weird and give me side eye and be like, you're a nerd. True. That's all true. But also, when you start talking even to teenagers about what their rights are and freedom of speech and that those kind of debates can be super exciting to people. Also, there's a, there's a something about civics that helps people to understand that citizenship to a certain extent is ownership. Right. That we're not talking about these obscure, far way off in Washington, D.C., or even in their state capital, politicians who own the state or own the government and get to make these decisions that that's what it means to be in a republic. They are citizens. Mm -hmm. 
this is their nation and these are their decisions and they get to decide. And there is a there should be accountability. Mm-hmm. There should be that incumbents should not be automatically reelected, that there should they should be accountable for the decisions they make. If nothing else, that's what Shivik should teach them. That that's what a vote is. It's accountability for your politicians. Yeah, I think so. I I, I totally agree with all of that. I, I think that it the question is is what we have in our schools now inadequate? And I'm not convinced. Yes. I, I, I'm not convinced that it's inadequate and I'm not convinced that doubling it or tripling it um, will make it all that much more exciting where it makes a <laughs> difference in the health of our democracy. I haven't seen any, I haven't seen much research uh, to, to show that that's the case. I mean, in the piece, I do cite a study about the adoption of the civics education initi- initiative which is based on the citizenship test between 1996 and 2020, it made no statistically uh, significant difference in youth voter turnout. I mean, that's that's kind of a damning indictment of at least the current health of civics instruction. And I'm skeptical it can be improved very much. I mean, public schools are like you, like you're kind of saying are already spread thin with everything they're expected to do. Yeah. I mean, political engagement right now among young people is at a, is at a historically high level. Um, yeah. Yes. And that, that, uh, that's an interesting thing because it's like this voter turnout surged, right? Obviously, with the 2020 election and the midterms, it stayed high. And the question is, yeah. what did that? Was it civics instruction that got better? We know no, that it, it wasn't. Voter laws. I mean, it made it easier to vote. That's why voter participation went up. I mean, that's that's part of it. But don't you think it was also because of a Barack Obama and then Donald Trump? Like, (laughs) I think the one two punch of those two uh, led to higher turnout. I mean, that's just my my cynicism. Yeah, no, I I think you're right. You're totally right. Totally right. In any case, uh, we're, we could continue talking, but uh, we can't because we're out of time. Um, I really appreciate you coming to talk about this. I mean, I really think this is important um, and I have not convinced, but I think it's worth talking about. Christian, I really appreciate you coming to talk to us. Thank you so much. Thank you, Celeste. It was a lot of fun. I appreciate it. So every time we talk about schools or education, we get a lot of opinions, which means I know many of you have thoughts about the conversation you just heard. And guess what? We want to hear them. This is the show where we want to hear all of your thoughts. So email them to us. It's hearmeout at slate.com. Last week, we had Professor Bill Connell on to argue that Christopher Columbus changed the world and therefore Columbus Day is worth commemorating. We got a lot of emails from you about this conversation. So before we go, we want to share one that we got from a listener named Ashley. Ashley wrote this. I find it interesting that this event is the event that Dr. Connell believes led to global unity. I am not a historian. Rather, I am a community psychologist. But it seems to me there could be many events that would be celebrated as global unity, including the invention of the Internet. I believe it should be a day or month that celebrates cultural values and traditions of indigenous peoples while recognizing the genocide that was committed. I will not talk to my own young children about this holiday as an event that led to global unity and would be surprised if that were the focus of the day for anyone else as they educate others. Thank you, Ashley. I feel the same way, obviously, as you heard during the conversation. Remember, all of you are welcome to share your thoughts with us, and we encourage you to do so. It is hearmeout 
at Slate.com. Hear Me Out is a podcast from Slate. The show is produced by Maura Curry. Ben Richmond is the Senior Director of Podcast Operations, and Alicia Montgomery is VP of Slate Audio. I'm your host, Celeste Headley. Until next time, speak your mind, but keep it open.